Ready or not, I'm coming hot. Spreading Cajun across the nation. Pushing the brand across the land. Welcome to Ragin' Review. Made by the fans, for the fans. Cajun Nation. What's going on? Welcome back to Ragin' Review. Matt Miguez. We've been a little MIA for a while. And that's attributed to a couple of things. Um, Number one, let's be blatantly obvious, outside of basketball, there's not a whole lot to talk about right now. Secondly, we're a two-man crew today. Blame Jerry. Josh Jogno joins me. The reason that we are a two-man crew is we've been filling you guys in on Jerry's life and how his wife, Kayla, has been pregnant. Well, they finally have a baby. Uh, Miss Allison Aber was born... God, I didn't, I'm not prepared. I didn't have the date pulled up or anything to talk about this. Jer- Josh, did you beat me to it? Do you have it? I'm working on it, but let me first start out by blaming Jerry for this hiatus and say, how dare you people go and have a child in the middle of raging recruit, raging review, recruiting, recording season. You guys got a plan better. Here we go. Here we go. Allison Elizabeth a bear was born January 10th, 2022 at one 35 PM weighing seven pounds and 14 ounces and 20 and a half inches long. Mom and baby girl are doing just fine. So congratulations to Jerry and Kayla. Uh, Jerry, if you if you're listening, bud, we know you're not sleeping a whole lot, but uh, hang in there; it gets easier. Jerry's sleeping right and, now. And listen, listen, listen to me saying it gets easier. I've never had a kid. <laughs> but no, in, in all serious, in all seriousness, congratulations to the Abear family. You know, always great to add to Cajun Nation and a uh, Ragin' Reviewer uh, uh, audience grew by one. So. That's cool. Very exciting. I know Jerry's very excited. I know the, uh, I know uh, Kayla being a mother is, is extremely over the moon about it. So just want to give a shout out to them and then also, you know, give them a dig. So, yeah, absolutely. We got a big episode on Rage and Review today. Uh, in the second segment, we are going to be joined by Kendall Rogers of D1 Baseball to bring you a preview of this 2022 baseball team, which, you know, Josh and I were talking about this off the air. We were, we were looking at the roster and trying to piece out what our lineup would be in our pitching rotation and whatnot. This team is stacked. It is. Uh, if you look at the bullpen, we have a ton of familiar names returning people that, you know, we know we can rely on. We know that they were productive last season for as odd of a season as it was um, a little bit older, a little bit more experienced. Got a couple of super seniors coming back. I think the bullpen is going to be a strong position for uh, for the Cajuns in 2022. But, you know, the biggest takeaway from the interview for me was having to kind of temper my excitement. Because when you really start looking at it on paper, mm-hmm. there's really not a segment of the team where you feel like you can be successful. Right. And, you know, there's been, uh, you know, obviously the, the, the kind of 
downturn in the program has been documented and we've made some staff changes. We've gone out and kind of turned the lineup over and there's going to be some things that, that, you know, we're used to seeing from a, a Degs coach baseball team uh, with this, with this particular club. So that's exciting, but kind of the return to the versatile offense and that grinder mentality uh, that is exciting. Uh, it's, it's, there's no two ways about it. When you look at it on paper, the potential is certainly there. Yeah, for sure. I mean, just just looking at some of the questions that we asked Kendall, you know, we talk about Kyle DeBarge, we talk about Matt Mershak, Max Mershak. Um, you know, you mentioned Seth Thibodeau coming onto the staff. Plenty to uh, to be excited about. This schedule is absolutely wild. Uh, Amazing we, schedule. We open with UC Irvine before going to Round Rock. Um, and in Round Rock, we play two top five teams. Uh, not to mention, in between those two weekend series, we we host Southeastern. Um, so that is always, that's always a fun game. Yeah, um, a good scrappy game, a good team that we have respect for, and you know, kind of like Kendall mentioned, the first two months of this season, it, the schedule is about as good as you can yep, hope for. Absolutely, from from February eighteenth through the end of March, when when you open conference, I mean, our our first two weekend series of conference, we go to Troy and then come home to host South Al. Like and then not to mention we got Southern Miss that we have to yeah. pay back a little bit, and yeah. it's at home, so that that's ought to be always, a pretty welcoming crowd. That's always a uh, a good time, and you know we we talked about that series. It's it's always a good series between us and Southern Miss. There's always kind of been a baseball rivalry there, but now to add an extra layer to that, they're coming to the Sun Belt, uh, so that's just going to make things you know that much more interesting with this series. Um, you know, we, we we've talked about the the new additions to the conference a lot, but and you know, we spent a lot of time talking about it from a football perspective. But from baseball, I mean, dude, Southern Miss Marshall's got a respectable program. Uh, James Madison brings a lot in terms of of baseball and softball. So there there's a lot coming to the Sun Belt to make it an even better baseball conference than it already is. Hundred percent, and all signs point to. Uh, our new members being in place by next season. Yep. So we need to load up for that. Southern Miss is a spectacular addition. ODU, great addition. The other two programs are not slouches either. So we look, this conference is, it's already, it already has history of being a good baseball conference. I don't, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that it's been great the last few years. I think it's been down, but these additions are going to excite this conference and it's fan bases all over again. Um, I, I can't tell you, a, you know, a mid-major conference, if you want to call it that, that's going to be better than the Sun Belt. You know, yep. uh, you know uh, it, the way that the AAC talks about their football conference as being a P6, I think that baseball speaking, uh, maybe a, a P6 is in order here for, for this conference. Yeah, no, no doubt about it. But, you know, enough talking from us. Well, let's go ahead and bring you the, uh, the Kendall Rogers interview. We'll take a quick break here and we come back. You'll, you'll hear that pre-recorded interview with me, Josh, and Kendall Rogers of D1 Baseball. It's about a 45-minute interview, a, a very solid interview. We appreciate Kendall taking the time. And in the third segment after that interview, we will bring you some information about what's been happening with the basketball programs as well as some general news from football. So don't go anywhere. A lot of fun about to be had on Rage Interview. We'll be back after this.
Schilling Distributing Company, Acadiana's top alcohol distributor for over 70 years, has been a proud supporter of Louisiana athletics for many of those years. Now, they've kindly decided to become the exclusive distributing sponsor of the Rage and Review podcast. This is just another chapter in Schilling Distributing's rich history of giving back to the Lafayette community. Starting as an Anheuser-Busch exclusive distributor, they're now expanded to include local brews for your sipping pleasure. Schilling services over 1,500 local businesses throughout the Acadiana area, employing 160 Ragin' Cajun residents, and they boast over 1,400 years of combined experience. Corporately headquartered right here in Lafayette at 2901 Moss Street, Schilling Distributing encourages Cajun Nation to enjoy their beverages responsibly and reminds you to download the Liquid Finder app today. Welcome back to our Agent Review. Matt Miguez, man about town, Josh Jagno. And we are now joined by the managing editor of D1 Baseball, Mr. Kendall Rogers. Going to fill us in on everything that we haven't already told you about the Raging Cajuns baseball team. Kendall, welcome in, man. Thank you for taking the time. How are you today? Man, I'm doing, I'm doing pretty good. It's it's nice, cold, and rainy, so that just means one thing: opening days on the way, right? Absolutely. What is it? Well, if you think if you think back to last year, opening weekend, and I think it was the same for you guys in there in Louisiana too. Opening weekend, uh, like was it the Tuesday or Wednesday before opening day last year? It was like six degrees in Texas and Louisiana. So let's hope we don't get a repeat of that. Yeah, it was super cold. Yeah, I, yeah. I'm just hoping the season starts. The weather's good because I think I think fans uh, there in Louisiana, I think they're gonna. They're going to like the product they see, and I, I know they've been waiting for, uh, you know, a team to kind of take a big step forward. And I think this is a, a team that can certainly do it. Yeah, we're we're excited about this roster, and we'll get into that in a bit. But Kendall, you know, we we always like to start letting letting our guests kind of brag on themselves. Um, D one okay. baseball has kind of become, you know, the go to source for college baseball knowledge, and recently you guys have have started a, a softball page as well. Uh, yeah. D one softball. Kind of talk about you know the continued success of D one baseball and the addition of D one softball and what that's going to do for you guys. Yeah, it's really interesting when you go back to kind of the 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 start of our business. We you know our goal was like, hey, let, let's make a good living doing this. Let's let's just try to break even. If we break even, we're happy. Um, you know, I can tell you that we're doing pretty well, and it's it's been. An absolute pleasure. You know, this is a sport that, you know, I grew up um, in the mid-90s going to games at, uh, you know, Texas A&M, uh, University of Texas, Rice. You know, I grew up on college baseball in the state of Texas and in the state of Louisiana, for that matter. Um, and, you know, I fell in love with the sport. And so I just think when you look at the evolution of the sport, uh, I feel like it's important for us to kind of play a, play a part in that. And I'm not, I'm not giving ourselves too much credit here, but like, I do feel like we're helping advance the sport and anything we can do to do that. Um, you know, we're honored to do, you know, I think the biggest thing for us too is, you know, I feel like with D1 baseball, we've kind of established ourselves uh, as the authority and, you know, like, yeah, I'm kind of patting ourselves on the back a little bit, but like facts are facts. And I don't think many people will dispute that. So our, our, our take over the last two years was, Hey, let's, um, let's look at some other areas to where 
you know, there's a, there's a niche sport to where there's just no one in the space that has really kind of controlled it, kind of given fans the one-stop shop because that was our goal with D1 baseball. And, and that's how, you know, D1 softball came about. You know, we, we got together with a, a, a woman by the name of Terry Henry that played at UCLA, won a national championship there, who, like me, like Aaron Fitt, like Kyle Peterson at D1, uh, had a big, big uh, passion for college softball and advancing that sport. And so, uh, you know, D1 softball, uh, unfortunately, we launched uh, the pandemic year. So that was a little bit of bad karma, but uh, it's bounced back really nicely. And, and of course, there uh, in Lafayette, uh, people certainly love college softball as well. So I guess for D1 baseball and D1 softball, the relationship with, with folks there in uh, KDN is pretty good. Well, I can tell you from my point of view as a lifelong college baseball fan, you've certainly filled a void for me. Um, I appreciate I mean, like it. You started going to games in the 90s. I probably started around 91, 92, mm-hmm. and there was literally no coverage. I mean, outside of the College World Series on ESPN, I mean, what what news organization brought you collegiate baseball news? I mean, yeah, I mean, if you, yeah, you're right. I mean, if you think about it, I mean, and, and, you know, they do a really nice job too, but, like, back in the day – it was pretty much like Jim Callis, John Manuel, uh, and of course Aaron Fitt at Baseball America. The problem is, is like college was just one part of their business, and the majority of their business was pro pro baseball. And so, uh, our our thing was like, hey, let's just have a college baseball centric site. When somebody goes to our site, they can see uh, standings, scores, prospect rankings, pretty much everything you'd ever want to see. So, you know that that's been awesome. And you know the thing about it too is. The thing that I love about college baseball is just all the different venues you go to. Um, you know, it's easy for people to go, oh, let, let's go to every SEC venue. Let's talk about the SEC venues. And, and they're great. Like, you know, there are very few places in America, and guys don't kick me off the podcast, but there are very few places in America that are like Duty Noble Mississippi State or Alex Box at LSU in the postseason. But I would also throw a lot of gems in there like, you know, Russo Park, and I and I say Russo Park, I, I, I guess I should call it the T because when I went there for the Super Regional, it was the T. But that atmosphere is one of the best that I've ever seen for a postseason event. Honestly, other than Florida State LSU and the Super Regional Baton Rouge, it probably is the best I've ever seen. Uh, unfortunately, the Cajuns didn't win that. But, like, if someone – like, I always tell people, if you really wanted to experience, like, what true Americana is like, let me take you to a college baseball super regional in the state of Louisiana. And that will tell you what, like what I consider to be Americana. And that's what I think college baseball is like college baseball is kind of like a blend of American culture in a way. Couldn't agree more. And see, this is why we bring you on the hot, the hottest takes of, of, of college baseball. There you uh, go. Not, not, not typically known by somebody that doesn't follow just the sec or doesn't follow just the big 10 or what have yeah. you. But one thing that I really love that D1 does is you guys follow the developments and rule changes when the committee meets and things like that. Particularly, you know, there's a few things that really matter to Robe and really matter to our fan base. And something that's been talked about for years is adding the paid assistant, increasing scholarships for baseball players, and pushing, uh, pushing opening day back uh, kind of to benefit the northern teams. Is there has there been any developments regarding those things in the offseason uh, this past year? There certainly hasn't been any movement on the opening day being moved back. And, I mean, let's be honest here, I think you have the Big Ten to blame. I mean, the Big Ten got, to, got with some other conferences and basically, you know, uh, put obstacles and 
street cones and everything else along the, the pathway to getting a third assistant. And I just think in the near future, there's no way these Southern schools are going to vote to move the season back to help them out whenever they, you know, roadblocked a third assistant legislation. So I think that's dead for a while. Um, what's not dead is this idea of getting more scholarships in college baseball, uh, you know, making uh, you know, the roster, the roster limit's going to be really interesting guys. Um, you know, you know, right now it's what it was 40. Um, there's been discussions on, Hey, do we go to 35? Do we go to 40? Do we go to unlimited? Uh, I'm hearing the sec wants unlimited rosters, which there's not a chance in hell that happens, but that's what they want. But you know, what's going to be really interesting is where they settle on that. I, I still actually think I settle at 35. I think a lot of people would prefer smaller rosters and even some schools in the sec would prefer smaller rosters. Um, I do think the two things that are definitely going to happen is in, increasing the number of people that can be on scholarship from 27 to 32 uh, and getting rid of the 25% rule, uh, which means, you know, if, um, you know, Louisiana wants to get a kid that's a local kid there uh, in Acadiana, you know, wants to go to play for the Cajuns, has always wanted to play for the Cajuns, they can get him for 2% because he doesn't need the money, that he can sign for 2%. He doesn't have to sign for 25%. So there's two there's two sides of that coin. So a lot of men majors would say, and I, and I actually wouldn't put the Cajuns in the, in the men major department in baseball. I think they're well above that. I think they have an identity. But when you look at a true men major, let's just say like Butler or Xavier or somebody like that, their argument against the getting rid of the twenty five percent is well these these bigger schools and the SEC and whatnot are just going to get richer and we're just going to get poorer. But there's two sides of the coin on this. So. Yeah, those schools are, you know, like a kid, let, let's be honest, like LSU can probably get a lot of kids to show up in Baton Rouge for 2%. But guess what? If you have that many talented players there after a year, especially in today's culture, like half the, half the damn team's going to leave if they're not playing. So what happens? Um, Nickel State gets, gets some of their kickbacks. Um, Northwestern State gets some of their kickbacks. South Alabama like all of a sudden you got all these really good division one players at these bigger programs who are going out to these smaller schools. So yeah, in a way it hurts you on the front end, but in the transfer portal era, like I think it's actually really going to help some of them in majors. So I, I kind of try to look at everything from both, both perspectives. And I totally get it that people don't like the 25% get, uh, being eliminated. But uh, I just think in college baseball, this is me in college baseball in a partial scholarship sport, like, you should be able to sign for whatever you want to sign for. Like if a guy, if a kid that lives in Mandeville across the lake uh, is, you know, parents make $400,000 a year. They don't need, they don't need the money. Like what, like if you're too late, why in the world are you giving that kid? Um, you know, why, why are you giving, having to give that kid 25% if you could sign him for two and go give, you know, a kid in Algiers or something or whatever. I'm just using the city as an example. Go give a kid Algiers. 40%. So I was saying college baseball, I think having the flexibility there is important. Agree with that, that we could do an entire podcast just on that. Absolutely. Uh, Let's do it. The, the, the landscape in collegiate athletics across the board is changing. And there's a little bit of a debate between P5 and G5 or, you know, you mentioned mm-hmm. the cages are not necessarily a mid-major anymore, but it, there, there's kind of, you know, some uncertainty and it's, it's around NIL and the transfer portal. Uh, there's one side that thinks that, G5 teams will benefit. There's some side that thinks that, you know, maybe college baseball is not kind of in the crosshairs of that stuff just yet. What do you feel about that? Do you think that the NIL will 
dramatically impact college baseball or the transfer portal, or, or do you not? Uh, I think it will affect college baseball. Um, I can tell you, and I don't think LSU is doing this just yet, but I can tell you of at least two SEC school baseball programs that are paying, you know, or get, well, I'm not saying they're paying their players, but they're, they're, they have NIL deals with all of their players in their roster and they're getting upwards of a thousand dollars a month on top of their scholarship. And so there will be some kids out there that that will affect. Um, I think what, where I think it has more of a bearing is on the, you know, the, the kids coming out of high school, you know, if you're a, you know, if you're going, let, let's just assume, let's just say the Cajuns, because here's the deal. Uh, I'm going to throw the Cajuns in the mix with the SEC schools because we all know there's plenty of oil money in that area. It's where if LSU's paying those guys, uh, you can bet the Cajuns are going to find a way to do it in baseball. So I'm going to lump them in there. But let's just say you got a kid from Kinder. Let's say Kyle DeBarge is, is a projected mm, top six-round pick, top five-round pick. And let's just say his number is, you know, $150,000. Well, if you can give the dude a $1,000 a month on top of his scholarship for three years, all of a sudden, like, he has a pretty, t- you know, really tough financial decision to make. Uh, you know, all of a sudden, the impact financially is not as much as, a, as it was had he gone to school and not gotten any money. So I think it will have an impact, but I think it's going to be one of those situations to where it affects kids more out of high school, more so than, hey, I'm not going to go to, you know, uh, I'm not going to go to, you know, Baylor. Uh, you know, over Texas A&M because oh, A&M's paying somebody $900 a month. Like, I just don't think – I don't think kids, especially in baseball, I think baseball is a little bit diff- different demographic. Um, I think baseball specifically is going to be a little different in that regard. Kendall Rogers is our guest. Kendall, let's go ahead and dive into the Cajuns now. You know, last season was kind of a repeat of a punch in the gut from uh from 2020 you know we kind of felt like we had the talent had the tools to get something done and do something special um definitely had the friday and saturday pitching uh from from an outsider's perspective you know what was missing for that baseball team and and kind of why were the cajuns never able to consistently put it all together yeah, I just think the big. I think the big thing if you're if you're Louisiana is you know Matt has a system, right? He has a system that has has passed the test of time, um, has been you know consistent, has been productive, and I think when you look at this team, you know the, the last year's team overall. I mean, this is a club that you know, frankly, like offensively, and you could argue pitching wise as well. I just didn't get it done. They weren't they weren't very consistent. I mean, you're talking about a club that you know had a, had only I think it was what was it maybe two guys on the whole team that were hitting over 300. And if you look historically at Matt's offenses, like the the complexion of the lineup looks a little different than that to say the least. You know, I think they hit the, what the two like around 260. So I just think the big thing when I look at the Cajuns this year, they look a little bit more like a, you know, Matt Deggs team. You know, we're going to talk about him a little later, but, you know, Max Marshak certainly is one of those guys that that, may, that needs to prove himself. I mean, I, I feel like I've been uh, talking about him since, since the day he stepped foot on Texas Tech's campus, and he just hasn't panned out. But, like, he's a guy that kind of reminds me of Dex Kerstad back in the day. Um, you know, you look at, you know, Kyle DeBarge. Those are guys that – you know, a lot like Blake Trahan and guys like that, that like Matt's system was built upon. So I just think this year's team has a little bit more of a look of that. Last year's team did not. And, and it also last year, uh, I mean, 
I, I try not to hold last year against anybody because it was such a strange season. I thought I thought it was only fitting that the se- you know the season at the very end came down to which team had less COVID cases. Like I just felt like that was like the season in a nutshell. Last year for me, like we, I was just glad we played. So the fact that a team may have underachieved or overachieved, like I'm not sure it has a lot of bearing on this year. Yeah, no, no doubt about it. And you know, talking about this team, the 2022 season getting underway in about three weeks. And uh, it kicks off at the Teague as the Cajuns will host the Anteaters of UC Irvine. Uh, according to you guys, you had them at number 20, I believe. Um, mm-hmm. And then the next weekend, we go to Round Rock to play Arkansas, Stanford, and Indiana. So definitely some some big tests. I think five of the first seven games are against ranked opponents. These first few weeks of the season, is that an opportunity for the Cajuns to kind of climb back into the national conversation? Yeah, we're going to find out everything we need to know about this team the first four weeks. I mean, you know, you open the weekend or open the season against UC Irvine, a team that is going to play a really unorthodox style of baseball. They're going to, they're going to, you know, they're going to try to hit long balls. They're going to try to play small ball, typical West Coast. They're going to move runners. Uh, it's a different style. And, uh, and I think seeing that kind of different style opening weekend is challenging. Um, they've got a lot of veterans. Um, and they've got a really good coach in Benny Orloff. He's a guy that, you know, he was a dirtbag player when he was at UC Irvine uh, back in the day. He's done a tremendous job as a head coach. So that's a big test. Uh, we don't even talk about how big of a test, you know, Stanford and Arkansas. You're talking about two top five teams. And then, oh, by the way, Southern Miss uh, the next weekend at home, thankfully, for, for the Cajuns. But, you know, that's a team that narrowly missed our, you know, top, uh, top 25. Uh, they're going to be a really solid team. Uh, and then Houston, uh, you know, Houston's a team that, you know, took a step back last year, but, uh, you know, Todd Wooding does a really nice job. And I think that's a program that's going to bounce back. You know, how, how much uh, is T- TBD, but uh, I think they're going to be better. So, I mean, that is four really tough weekends, but also if you're Matt, like you kind of know where you are going into conference play. Let's say if you can split those, those four weekends, you're going to be in pretty good shape RPI wise going into conference play. It's shades of older teams that really played a gauntlet early in the season, and mm-hmm. almost always it helped us in late season run and postseason runs. So I'm I'm thrilled about the schedule, and just personally watching West Coast baseball come to the tee, I love that that style of baseball. I just yeah, it's, I think just it's different. fun to watch, and it's different, yeah. right? Uh, you know, you mentioned the staff, and we we added Seth Thibodeau uh, over the off season, and uh, you know we replaced JT. How do you kind of see Seth fitting into the staff? How do you think he balances Deggs? Uh, I could just tell you from a personal standpoint, watching Seth Thibodeau for a long time, I know Robe had a lot of respect for him. I know he's a baseball man. And I know his style of baseball, in my view, is going to fit right in with what Deggs wants to do. Yeah, there's no doubt. I mean, I think when you look at that staff, you know, this is a, a staff that with the addition of Seth, you're getting a lot of experience. Um, and I think you're getting a guy who's had to grind. I mean, you talk about a tough job, um, you know, it's Nickel State and Thibodeau. Uh, you know, people are going to look at, at Seth's, um, you know, Seth's, you know, record there, his resume, and go, oh, this, is, this guy's not very good. But, I mean, that's a really, really difficult place to, to win. So, I think anytime you get a guy that's had that, that many games under his belt and has had to grind his entire coaching career, I think it really helps because I think what it does is it kind of allows Seth to kind of show – in reality, what kind of coach he is. Because I don't think when you're at Nichols, like you're really showing what kind of coach you are. Like I think, for instance, you know, when that job came open, had Andy Canizero gone there, 
Like that would have been really tough for him to win there. You're talking about a guy that has won everywhere he's been. So uh, I, I think that's a really good addition. You know, you've got a guy that's very familiar with the with the lay of the land uh, in South Louisiana, and so I, I love the addition uh, of Seth. I think it's I think it's kind of what they needed. They needed some experience in that role. Agree, and we didn't even talk about his recruiting ties. That that's a big deal. But from no doubt. from from sitting in the stands and watching uh, the Cajuns play Nichols every year, there was no easy W's on that slate. I mean, he made you work for everything every win that we went down there to get, or they came here. So I'm, I'm extremely excited about that. Uh, people are going to start to look at the pitching rotation here in the next couple of weeks. And, you know, Drew Shiflett came in from Texas. I think mm-hmm. he ended up throwing 15 innings for them or something last year. Uh, what do you know about Drew covering the state of Texas as thoroughly as you do? Uh, can you educate our listeners on him? And it, it looks like he might nail down the Friday night starter role before this is over. So just very curious about what you can do. Yeah, that's a really interesting guy. I mean, he, he was a kid that, you know, because of how good Texas has been the last couple of years, uh, you know, hasn't gotten a lot of limelight, hasn't gotten a lot of innings, frankly. But uh, he's got a lot of talent. I mean, I, I think back at the, the scrimmage against LSU and Baton Rouge, and, I mean, it was 91, 93, bumping to 94. Uh, the the changeup was 84, 85. The curveball, uh, frankly, the spin kind of surprised me. I mean, it was 78, 80. Uh, he's up to 2,700 with a spin rate, uh, which is pretty good. Like, it's not incredible, but it's pretty good. Uh, and he was really effective. So, you know, I think he's a guy that, you know, again, we talked about Seth and his coaching experience. We're talking about a guy in Drew who, you know, played at a program like Texas. He knows, you know, how what, what it's like to deal with expectations. So I think that's really interesting that he's slated in that Friday role. Um, that's a lot of pressure on him. But, uh, you know, he's got the stuff to deal with it. I, I think for me, though – I think the biggest key for that entire team is Hayden Dirk. I mean, he, he is the guy that if you are a scout or you're an opposing team, that if he's on, you're like, damn, this is going to be a long day. So I, I think Drew's a big part of this team. I think a guy like Hayden Dirk is kind of the X factor. Like if he has a really good year, I think the rest of the team kind of follows suit. All right, kind of. We had the Hayden Dirk question towards the end of the, uh, oh, of the interview sorry, here. But, no, 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 no. That's perfect. It's perfect, perfect uh, segue because I'm very intrigued by Hayden. Uh, I was in the stands in Southern Miss when uh, that Friday night went down, and I, I was very, uh, we'll call it passionate about my view on how that was handled. I didn't like that they kind of left him out there. Um, I, I was sitting next to his dad by happenstance, and he told me two batters in that they had the signs. So. I mean, it was a pretty precipitous downfall after that. I think the kid yeah. lost his confidence. I think that 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 Friday night really hurt him psychologically, and I said as much that day. Sure. Do you think that maybe that could have been handled a little bit differently? Do you think it actually did affect him going forward in the season? And I agree with you 100% that his upside is the highest on the team. Uh, but, but he showed you against Tulane to open the season last year that he can be relied on. Yeah, and even against LSU in that scrimmage, I can't remember his numbers, but, like, you know, there were, there was a pitch here and there that you were kind of like, okay, he's a little bit all over the place. But then all of a sudden, he would throw a, a BB in there, and you're like, okay, this is this is what I'm here for. And so, you know, I, I look at it both ways um, on that kind of situation. Obviously, if the signs are being stolen, uh, the signs should have been changed. But, you know, I, early in the season for a young arm like that, not necessarily against kind of letting him loose and just seeing, like, seeing what he can see, how he handles it. Um, I think that one important part of, of building a culture is seeing 
uh, you know, it's easy, it's easy for all of us in life, whether it's a job or whether it's a team to deal with success. Like how do we deal with extreme adversity? And I think it's important whether, frankly, whether it's he's a freshman or whether he's a junior college transfer, like Keith Hood, like it's important to see how your guys handle pressure. Um, you know, with that said, obviously it did hurt him, but, uh, you know, he's a guy that, you know, now he's kind of learned a lesson and, uh, we'll kind of see how he does this year. And really sounds like it all comes down to command for him because he has the stuff. No doubt. But do you, do you see him carving out a bullpen role and Matt sticking with that? Or do you think ultimately they want to see him back in the rotation, whether it be Saturday, Sunday, you know? I think they want him in the rotation. I mean, when I when I saw him in the fall, I mean, it was four pitches. I, I want to say, uh, I, I think the the curveballs in the mid seventies, changeup is in the mid eighties, fastballs up to ninety six. If you have a guy that can that can throw strikes and command the ball with those kind of three pitches, I mean, you want them in the weekend rotation. Now, your you know your worst case scenario is you know you you pick one of those two secondary offerings. You pick the fastball, throw him in the bullpen, and the dude's throwing 98 out of the bullpen. So that that is your worst case scenario. But I, I think they're going to want him that week in rotation. You want you want your premier talents like that in your week in rotation if you can. Kendall Rogers from D1 Baseball is our guest. Kendall, let's talk about Kyle DeBarge now. He's kind of been the name that everybody, you know, following this program has talked about this offseason. Uh, we call him the worst kept secret in, in Lafayette. You know, some people even said that after the LSU scrimmage that he was the best player on the field, not named Dylan Cruz. Uh, what's been your impression of, of Kyle so far? What does the freshman bring to this roster, and and how do you think he fits in? Man, I, I'll tell you what, I loved him in the fall. I mean, I, I don't, I, I probably blew his ego up entirely too much, but man, he was just a special looking player. And and granted, um, you know, it was just one game in the fall, so I mean, we'll see what happens this spring. But, you know, it, it was a lot of shades of Blake. Uh, and it's just funny that they were both, you know, from kinder. But, you know, obviously Blake's a little different player. He's probably a slightly better athlete. But uh, I just think when you look at Kyle, you know, he's a physical hitter. Um, you know, the thing I liked about him is he played fall ball like it was a College World Series. That told me a lot about just kind of his mindset. But on top of that, the thing that I loved the most was just his plate approach. He was not swinging at anything outside the zone. He was not swinging at any, at any kind of show me pitches. There, there weren't strikes. Um, I can name probably on two hands, how many freshmen around college baseball that I've seen that can get in the box and kind of just as a hitter command the zone that well to where they're not swinging a, a, a garbage. Now, again, we'll see if he does it when the lights come on, but that, that one day snapshot, I mean, he, he looked like a guy that could, could absolutely be a Blake Trahan top three round pick, uh, if not higher here in the next couple of years. He was a very, very good looking player. Yeah, we seem to have a good track record with, with shortstops from Kinder. No question. So uh, definitely looking forward to that. Another guy I've been interested to talk about is, you brought him up earlier, the Texas Tech transfer, Mac Marshak. Uh, probably going to be the starter uh, in center field. Uh, he certainly looks the part from you know what we've gotten to see in the fall. In in your opinion, you know, you like we've like we've talked about already, you cover Texas baseball so well. Um, why was Max really never able to fit in and get it going for the Red Raiders? Well, I think you saw a little bit of that um, against LSU. Um, if you if you were there and kind of saw just his approach, he's a guy that I feel like builds off momentum. 
And, you know, if you looked at his at-bats against LSU, they weren't great. Um, he, he swung at some pitches out of the zone, swung through some pitches, and, like, the body language wasn't fantastic. But he is one of those guys that, you know, once that light kind of comes on for him, he couldn't be he, – he couldn't just be good. He could be a great player. He's obviously a tremendous athlete, so he's got – some versatility, like if he can get on base, he can steal some bases. He can kind of create some havoc uh, on the base pass. So for for me, when I look at him, it's just all about consistency and just is gaining momentum. He is a momentum uh, based hitter, and he's just a guy. The last couple of years, he just hasn't nothing's really clicked for him, and so it's either kind of feast or famine. And you know, we'll find out here pretty soon whether or not he feasts or whether or not there's famine. And if there is famine. Well, thankfully, they've got some guys behind him. I think they can they can help out. Yeah, that kind of rolls into my next question. Max is in a group that's going to be very competitive. Uh, for for my money, this is the most athletic, deepest, uh, most versatile outfield we've had in recent memory, maybe since 2014. Is there? Is, would you agree with that assessment? I I think that I'm not too far off base with that. And is there anybody that you you feel is going to make the biggest jump in the outfield to kind of snatch a job? Yeah, I mean, I do feel like that. I think when you look at this team overall, uh, it, it's got a lot of potential. I mean, you know, I, I'm just sitting here going up and down the lineup now, and it's just like, you, like I don't see a spot where you're like, okay, that, that's just kind of a stinker. Uh, I mean, I think when you look at the outfield, obviously they're really excited about, you know, uh, a guy like Connor Higgs. Um, I remember Matt talking to me uh, in the fall. He said, hey, this guy, you know, missed some of the fall with an injury. But he's like, he might have the best power on the team. So you're talking about a guy with, with huge power. You know, Heath Hood is a, is a kid that uh, they really like. You know, I think he, I want to say he's a Tyler Jr. college guy. He's a Texas kid. But, uh, again, uh, you know, a physical hitter can hit for power, um, has some versatility. We just talked about that with Marshawk. But, you know, has some versatility, can kind of, you know, you know, create some havoc on the base pass. So you got a lot of that athleticism there. You add Higgs in the mix. Uh, as a power hitter, but uh, I, I think if that's, that's your starting three on opening day, that's a really, really solid opening three with a lot of athleticism. Real, real quick story on on Higgs, where that I think it was just practice. I don't even think they were scrimmaging, and he gets smoked in the face. I think it was Bo Bonds hit him with a, a fastball in the face. This is practice. He stands up. Well, he lays on the ground a minute. He kind of comes to all fours and then he stands up and they're trying to get him off the field and he shakes off everybody gets back in the box. And he hits, I think, I think he went oppo for a base hit. Uh, That's the kind of toughness that I want to see out of a Dex team, because that's what you expect. Right. And he was, he was, uh, that, that was a revelation. It was a small snapshot. No, it it was. And I think that's part of this, what this team needs is they they need a a little chip on their shoulder uh, and they need a, they need this, this idea of like, the other teams should have no idea what to expect. You know, when I not to go back to the question about uh, Matt and the, the philosophy, but when I think about like Matt Deggs' philosophy, I go back to the Super Regional against Ole Miss, and if you guys remember the series open, we all kind of thought like, oh my god, like they're just about to run these people off the field. Uh, if you remember in that game, you know Chase Compton, I want to say hit a ball that that literally almost went over the light standard, and I want to say his next at bat. He dropped down a bunt with bases loaded to score a run. Like that was just kind of the style. Like the other team had no idea what to expect, and so uh, I think just having that grit, having that kind of attitude, and having kind of a, I guess I call it controlled chaos, is is kind of the offense I like to see. 
Yeah, the 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 grinder style is is what we call it, but definitely oh, definitely controlled chaos. Um, I mean, the the best moments at the Teague is when you you lay down a suicide squeeze. Oh, I mean that just gets the dude, crowd. Yeah, that ramped entire up. season was so much fun. You know, it sounds like Julian Brock is going to be our opening day catcher. You know, such a crucial position for this team. He was recruited at Louisiana for his hitting ability. But but it's kind of starting to seem like his defense is what's going to give him the chance to be in the starting nine every day. What has impressed Deggs most about JB at, uh, like I said, such a crucial position for this team? Yeah, I mean, this is his time, right? I mean, you know, looking at last year, um, you know, they, they brought in Drake Osborne from Texas A&M Corpus, who's obviously a really accomplished catcher. And, you know, he kind of played behind him. And you know, I think the biggest thing for Julian is I think he knows it's his time to shine. You know, he's got tools. Um, he's got power. Uh, again, we, we kind of talked about, you know, the guys l- just looking the part, like Hayden Dirk. Uh, Julian Brock, when you see him behind the plate or on, on the bases or in the box, like he looks the part. I mean, you're talking about a 6'3", six, six, uh, 205, 210-pounder. Like I wish I was 6'3", 210. That's the way you want to look. So that's where they draw him up. And so I just think with his physicality, his experience, kind of the 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 idea that the light is on him now, uh, I think he's going to have a really good year. I mean, to me, if he can be really good behind the plate and hit 270, 280, and hit, let's say, seven or eight bombs, I think if you're Matt, you're happy. If Julian Brock hits 270 and hits eight to ten home runs and does a good job <laughs> controlling this pitching staff – Oh, that, that is ideal. I, I would tell you. It's we're icing on the cake. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, look, Drake Osborne had an all-time season. I mean, at one point he just caught fire. He was hitting over 500 for like a month. That's not, you know, that you're not going to reproduce that, but you know, historically what we need out of our catchers is, is just that control a, a pitching staff, make them, make them trust you back there and give us a little something here and there. I mean, yeah, well, I mean, we can go another hour on just that, but anyway, we know that you've got your, your ear to the ground. Uh, has there any? Has there been any news out of the program since practice kind of picked back up right here before the season uh, with names of, of people that are standing out or anybody uh, doing anything special that we may not have heard of? Yeah, I think the biggest the, – the, kind of the biggest name I, I would really keep an eye on going into the season is Tyler Robertson. I mean, this is a kid that I feel like is probably their breakout player. Um, granted, he had eight home runs and 25 RBIs last year. So he had eight, eight home runs. I mean, that's not bad production. But, you know, this is a guy that also had, you know, a, a batting average around, what was it, 260, 265. And so I think if I'm a betting man, uh, you know, we, again, we talk about drawing it up, drawing guys up. Um, he looks the part. I mean, you're, you're talking about a, a long, you know, lean frame, athletic, can hit for some power. Um, I think Tyler Robertson hits 300 this year. I think he hits 300 with double-digit home runs, and I feel pretty confident about that. Like I think he's, I think he's got all the tools and all the ability to be that good. I'm telling you right now, if TR hits 300 with 10 plus homers, I'm going to be thrilled. Yeah, I mean, I'm kind of paint, painting a picture of a really good team, so I'm probably, I'm probably creating some pretty insane expectations, but like. That's the honest truth. I thought he looked really good in that scrimmage against LSU. Like, I thought he looked very good. Where, where do you think he projects in the draft? Because this is a money-making year for TR. I mean, he needs to be more consistent. But, I mean, 
you're talking about a guy who stole 20 plus bases with his frame was six three, six four, two hundred 200 pounds. Um, you know, if he can hit with power, speed, average, top five rounder for me. Now, I would say he's a top five rounder. I mean, we'll see what scouts think as the season progresses. But if he can do what I just said, I mean, I think he's a top four or five rounder. There's, you just don't, there's just not many kids in college baseball that have all the different, you know, attributes. Yeah, he's he's definitely a special one. We've definitely we've thought that for for a few years now. Kendall, a couple more for you, and then I've got one that I'm gonna put you on the spot with. Uh, How do you see the Sun Belt shaking out in 2022? You know, obviously the Cajuns, South Owl, Southern Miss is coming. They're not gonna be here for the 2022 season, but they're coming in. You know, just just the general landscape. What do, what do you what do you see happening in the conference? Yeah, it's going to be really interesting. Um, you know, I think outside of Louisiana and, and, you know, Georgia Southern, Troy, Coastal, I mean, I think the, the league is pretty much wide open. Obviously, obviously South Owl will always be in the mix somewhere. Uh, Mark Calvi does a really nice job. You know, Coastal, uh, for me, is kind of a program that I'm just, like, very confused about. You know, like, I feel like they won the national championship, and I feel like they've gradually, since that point, I wouldn't say gotten worse, but, like, they're just not – they've not – played at that kind of level. So I'm kind of wondering, you know, you know, are the Chanticleers kind of primed and, and ready to kind of make a comeback? Um, and then you look at, you know, Troy with, with Skyler Mead as a new head coach. You know, Skyler was a really good assistant at Michigan State. Um, he did, did a pretty solid job of the pitching staff at South Carolina. You know, but Skyler, again, we talked about Seth, Seth Thibodeau and being in some different places, having to do things differently. You know, he's been in the SEC school. Uh, he's been at a Big Ten school where, you know, they have to grind and they have to really get after it in, in cold weather uh, to, to win and recruit. And so I think that's a really interesting hire uh, for Troy. I thought that was a really good hire for them, actually, for their situation. You know, Rodney Hinden does a really nice job at Georgia Southern. And so uh, I think it's going to be the usual suspects. I mean, I think you, you're probably going to look at South Val, Coastal. Uh, you know, Troy could surprise some people. But uh, that, that's kind of where I stand. And looking at our schedule, conference series that excites you the most if you're a Cajuns fan, and what series do you think could kind of be that defining moment for for the Cajuns outside of the obvious, you know, first two weeks of the year? Yeah, I think the big one for me is Southern Miss. Uh, in terms of outside the conference, Southern Miss is, is the, the defining one for me. I think with Southern Miss going into the Sun Belt uh, here in the, in the near future, I think with kind of how chippy that series was last year. But I think that was – was that last year that that series was really chippy or was that two years ago? That was last year, and we owe those bastards, so. Yeah, that's that's what I thought. I thought it got really chippy. So, I think with that combination, with that series being at home, I think that's a big series. I mean, I think this is a series that I think for me kind of, kind of sets a trajectory for one of these two programs the rest of the season. So, for, for at a conference, that would be the one for me. I think in conference, I look at those first two weekends, really both is really intriguing. You go on the road to Troy, and then you come back home to play South Valley. He's always, you know, hard-nosed, gritty. Uh, they're always talented. So those first two weekends for me, uh, I mean, frankly, you can look to the very end of March. From opening day to the end of March is like as good as it really gets for them. I think after that, it's kind of downhill in terms of, you know, ultra-tough opponents. Yeah, definitely. Matt Deggs definitely put together one hell of a schedule for uh, for 2022. Realistically, Kendall, from from your perspective, what is a realistic expectation for Cajuns fans for this season? 
I, I'm a step-by-step guy. I think if they can get to a regional um, and, you know, play, playing a regional championship and, and, frankly, getting to a regional at this point is probably a step forward. But I, I think you just have to show marked progress. I think you have to be strongly in the mix for a regional spot. I think you need to get in a regional to kind of show on the recruiting trail that you're making big strides. So, for me, getting to a regional, I think in a couple of years, maybe we can start talking about regional hosts again. But if you can just get in a regional, and granted, I know everybody's going to hate it, but if you can just get in a regional, even if it's like a, a bat Rouge or something, like that's a step forward um, for this program. And so, uh, again, I, I kind of go back. Uh, I think the sky's a limit for this kind of, for this program. Um, I, I know Matt thinks the same way. But, you know, this is a program that now has a premier facility. They've got a premier fan base. They're in a really good spot recruiting-wise. The baseball in South Louisiana is great. They can go into Houston. They can go into the Golden Triangle around Beaumont and Nederland and Port Arthur. Uh, this is a program that, for me, in that league, should be winning 30 to 40 games, probably 35 to 45 games a year. And so I don't think that's unrealistic, like, for, for, all, the, for all the different, you know, check marks in the, in the plus box. Um, I don't think that's unrealistic for this program long-term. All right, now it's time for me to put you on the spot. Put your put your Matt Deggs cap on and give me the starting lineup one through nine for opening night. Man, I gotta actually give you oh man, like his leadoff hitter? No, just like who's 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 gonna be like oh, okay. y- you can give me the defensive lineup if you want. I'll tell you what, I'll I'll tell you what I'll do. I'm gonna actually say that he's gonna give Marshawk a shot to lead off. I think he's gonna. I think he's going to tell Marshak that, like, hey, you got a lot to prove, but we're gonna trust you so much that for to start the season, we're gonna try you and lead off and see how it goes. And you know, I mean, there's no more confidence that you can show a guy than throwing him in that leadoff spot. So that that'll be my one prediction for the lineup. But kind of kind of sorting it out. I mean, I think um, I think obviously behind the plate you go Julian Brock. I think at first base you Carson Roccaforti, uh, Bobby Lede at second, and Bobby Lede, by the way, was a guy that I didn't mention him earlier, but he was a guy that uh, Matt said had a really, really good fall too. So keep an eye on him. I think he's going to take a big step forward. Um, you know, Tyler Robertson at third, uh, Kyle uh, DeBarge at shortstop. I think he's going to just have a great year. I mean, he, the thing about Kyle too is he can play anywhere. Like he's just one of those kind of players. Like he can play anywhere that the Cages need him to play. But uh, he's gonna, probably going to start the season as short. And then when you kind of look at left, Connor Higgs, M- Max Marshak, and uh, then right and uh, Heath Hood. And then my, my hunch would be an experienced guy and that kind of that DH role like Connor Kemple. So I think that's the way it's going to set up. And, uh, again, I, I look at this this potential lineup and I'm, I'm intrigued. Like I think, it, I think it has a chance to be really, really solid lineup with a lot of versatility. That's the most important part. You don't want just a lineup that goes up there and matches. You want a lineup that can steal bases. You want a lineup that can drop down a bun and can kind of create havoc on the, the opposing team. And I think this is a lineup that has that potential. Now they kind of have to go out there and do it. Fantastic stuff. Kendall Rogers has been our guest. Kendall, before we let you run, man, tell everybody where they can find you on social media and find your work with D1 Baseball. Yeah, man, just at Kendall Rogers uh, on Twitter, uh, at D1 Baseball on Twitter as well. And you can head to our site. We'll have a lot of season preview content. I'm actually going to be the one doing the Sunbelt preview. So you'll have a lot more on the Cajuns here soon. I think I'll probably rank 30 
um, junior prospects. My guess would be 20 uh, sophomores and 20 freshmen. And uh, you can also, I think it's the, the code's promo 22, you can get 20% off of an annual subscription. So should be a fun year. And I'll see the Cajuns, uh, what is it, week two, uh, as they take on two top five teams. We're going to find out a lot that weekend. Definitely going to be a fun one. Kendall, again, man, we appreciate you taking the time. And uh, as always, enjoy the baseball season. Yeah, you got it, fellas. Thank you. Thanks, Kendall. And appreciate the guys. fall report. All right. You got it, brother. Talk to you soon. Chris Russo of Russo Exploration encourages you to donate to the Ranging Cajun Athletic Foundation. The RCAF, the official fundraising arm of Louisiana Athletics, supports over 400 student-athletes across 16 NCAA sports. You can invest in the RCAF today for as little as $5 a month. Just go to myrcaf.org to get started or call 337-851-RCAF. As always, donations to the RCAF are tax-deductible. Your investment today will enrich the lives of of every athlete that puts on the vermilion and white. Go Cajuns! Welcome back to our agent review. Matt Miguez, Josh Jagno. We really hope you enjoyed that interview with Kendall Rogers. Uh, I know we we did. You know, we're coming up on three weeks away from first pitch between the Cajuns and the Ant Eaters. I can never just say UC Irvine. I have to say Anteaters because that's got to be one of the most unique mascots in all of college athletics. There's a couple out west that I, I mean, really like. Anteaters is great. The dirt bags of the Long dirt Beach, bags, yeah, amazing. The the Jackrabbits, South Dakota State, oh, excellent. Yeah, sound like some minor league teams, dude. There is, you know. The, the, the mascots that minor league teams come up with are hilarious. The In Madison, Alabama, they have the Rocket City Trash Pandas. Because, you know, raccoons <laughs> raccoons wasn't good enough. Trash Pandas. Um, the Sugarland Skeeters. Obviously, they're about to they're they're about to undergo a name change. Um, <laughs> at the end of this month on the 29th. They're going to announce that they will now be the Sugarland Space Cowboys. Oh my god! I guess I guess to tie into the Astros, because they are the Astros affiliate. So I don't know I if there's. The, I guess the Skeeters are offensive now. <sighs> Dude, their uniforms. So I'm playing. I'm playing MLB the Show on uh, on my PS4, and I'm doing a road to the show, and I am in the Astros organization, and I'm in AAA, and I'm playing for the Skeeters. And so now, like, I have this affection for the Sugarland Skeeters, and I'm kind of mad that they're changing their name. But that's neither here or there. We're getting very off topic. Once again, Kendall, we appreciate him taking the time. What a great interview. I would like to pat us on the head just real quick. He oh, did yeah. mention that he only does a few podcasts and yearly, we're, and we and we're are on the roster. Little, little flex there, but let's talk some basketball now. Two games this past weekend at home with South Alabama and Troy. The men splitting one and one. Uh, they fell to South Alabama 77-70 to last Thursday. Uh, Charles Manning Jr. led the Jags with 20 points on 7-14 shooting. Jordan Brown led the Cajuns with 21 and 11 rebounds. 
But, you know, I'm, I'm looking at the, the box scores of this game, and you just – you can't, I've said this time and time again. You can't shoot 40% as a team and expect to win the game. You also can't turn the ball over. And once again, we, we had more uh, – had to be over 15 turnovers. 15. So 15 turnovers, which is better than our, our season average, I would guess. But – The fact of the matter is you got outscored by 27 points the final 27 minutes of the game. Just can't happen. 15 to 8 for South. Yeah. And I'll give credit where credit is due. The the Cajun defense was good early on in that that first half and to a small degree early in the second half. But, you know, you got to take advantage of a team that's not putting the ball in the basket. So, yeah, they were up by 6 at the end of that first half. But they should have been up by 15. We're kind of running out of ways to say we're not good enough. Uh, and, and, you know, I think everybody else kind of understands where we're at as a, as a basketball program. But South Al has some long-rangey guards. They have probably some of the – that two that tandem of guards is probably the biggest mismatch for us in the conference. So I guess it wasn't really a huge shock that they, they outplayed us in the second half there. Uh, I thought they were a little bit underwhelming in the first half, to be honest. But you really want to win your home games. And I know South Alabama has some potential, and I understand all that. Uh, we shouldn't be sitting at, what is it, 9-9 nine and nine overall? We're now 9-8. 9-8. Nine and eight. Nine and eight. You know, what's the conference record? 4-3, and three, something like that. Just not good enough. Not not with this roster. Not with this roster. I mean, look, we had COVID issues, and, and our coach was out for two games. We went on the road and went 2-0. and oh. Four and three. That should, yeah, that should tell you what this team is capable of. I don't know. I think we got to do better at home. What I don't understand is why is Ty Harper only playing four minutes a game? You know how rumors start around this town, this area, and there's a rumor that he kind of dogged it in practice early in the season and he faked an injury, supposedly. Now, look, that's a total rumor. I have absolutely no idea if it's true. But if you look at it through the lens of, it doesn't make sense. Why the hell isn't this guy get this guy getting minutes when we're playing guards in this league that are so much faster than AL and or AU and uh, it, really anybody any other guard that we put on the floor? Ty Harper's by far our most shifty and fastest guard. Guy can't get on the floor. Is it a work ethic issue? Is it an attitude issue? And if it is, how do we not know that when we recruited him? Right. Or or how do we fix it? Or how do we fix it? But, you know, some of these guys check out after a certain amount of time. I mean, they get an opportunity or they feel like they're not getting the opportunity and then they get snatched from them if they did and it's not given to them if they didn't. You never know where, where his mind is at. Right. He's, he's productive when he gets on the floor, you know, from, from what I can tell. Yep. But it's a great question. I'd love to know the answer. And then this past Saturday, Louisiana takes down Troy 69-59. to 59. Uh, Troy came into this game leading the conference. Uh, so a, a big win on paper for the Cajuns. Kobe Julian was 17 points on 7 of 12 shooting. Theo Akuba led the way with nine boards. And Karen Crow product Joe Charles, three assists to be the assist leader for the Cajuns. Field goal percentage improved a little bit in this game. Shot 42.6% from the field, 40% from deep. And let's see what the free throw numbers were. 68.2%, 15 of 22 from the free throw line. Not awful. Um, could be better. But yeah. definitely definitely not awful. 
Um, Hovering around season average, so what do you expect? They were out-rebounded by Troy, and only 11 turnovers committed by the Cadence. Well, Troy... Troy was 12 and four. They had some impressive wins on the year. You could definitely see the talent on the floor. Uh, I think the, 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 the story from the game was the Cajuns ability to lock down on defense in the second half. Something that we've complained about is perimeter defense. And I thought the perimeter defense was actually really good in the second half against Troy, you know, uh, again, Saturday night in the Sun Belt, the rest were awful at times in that game. Um, so maybe the score might be a little bit deceiving, but that the, the, the game was definitely not called, um, well, maybe maybe the refs were bad on both ends. I'll say that. But really, the Cajuns got hosed a few times in the first half, I thought. The over-the-back calls that were missed were egregious. Uh, but Joe Charles, you mentioned Joe Charles. He narrowly missed a, an ankle injury. It was good to see him come back in the game. He's always productive when he gets on the floor. He is a mismatch at his position. He passes the ball really well. He's got good court vision, and apparently he's got good basketball IQ. I like to watch him play. It's exciting that he's a freshman. I like I like his his upside. I really do. I think that Trajan Wesley, unfortunately, is a small player, but man, he brings an extra level of grit to the basketball team. When he's playing well, the team kind of follows him, uh, and that's good to see. Uh, it was good to see Greg Williams knock down some shots because he's been struggling big time. So so watching the the net move for him was probably my biggest takeaway from a player standpoint. He hit some crucial shots. He hit a big three down the stretch uh, that, that really kind of sealed Troy there. And uh, it was just good to see him have some confidence and shoot the ball with confidence. Yeah, no, no doubt about it. The women, uh, the women's program is going to be at home on Saturday to host ULM. Uh, they're 11 and four on the year. Uh, they've, they've gotten bit with the COVID bug so far this year. Uh, not necessarily them, uh, but they've had three games canceled in the month of January. Due to, yeah. due to COVID. Brutal. It's like every time you look up to see if they're playing. Right. They they're not. Canceled. Right. Right. Um, but they look to get back on, on track because uh, they lost to App on the Thursday night and then the Coastal game on the Saturday got canceled. So now they look to get back on track with a 4-16 and 16 ULM coming to town. Um, had, a, had a really impressive win against Troy a couple of weeks ago that we didn't really get to talk about. But, yeah. you know, Troy's been a perennial Troy's, winner in this conference. They're dominant, for sure. Yeah, yeah but huge, they're good again this year, win. so that's a that's a big win for Gary. Huge, huge win. Um, so, obviously, we wish both programs the best of luck over the next coming weeks because, as we know, with, with college basketball, as you get into February and March, things get, uh, things get real interesting. Well, at this point, the three days in March moniker is 100% accurate, and that's what we got to be looking at. Yep. Finish strong. Get a good seed in the tournament and see what we can do. No, no doubt about it. A couple of tidbits from football before we before we get out of here. Uh, Levi Lewis has declared for the 2022 NFL Draft um, after a storied career here at Louisiana. Realistically, Josh, do you what? What do you? Where do you see Levi kind of landing? That's a great question. Uh, the game has changed at the pro level so much. Uh, I think that it is a requirement to be mobile nowadays. I mean, look at what you just watched Sunday afternoon or Sunday night with Josh God, Allen. What a and, game. And Mahomie over there. I mean, that was unbelievable. What a game. Look, that game looks totally different without their ability to run the football. Best it, best it, week, best week weekend of pro football in a while. 
not close. I, I don't know if I've ever seen playoff weekends end with I mean, every game. All four games on winning last, on the last play. Yeah. Nice. I, it's, I don't think it's ever happened. Nice. Uh, so, so really awesome. But, but back to Levi, you know, Levi, he has all the intangibles. We've heard that for four years I, and I totally, I believe it. I mean, he's got the intangibles. Um, what's to say that, you know, the guy's a student athlete at UL. What's to say that he gets with the quarterback coach and he makes that his full-time job and they change some things and he becomes a more accurate passer. Uh, you, there's nothing you can say about his IQ. I mean, the guy knows the game. Yep. He's, he was trusted wholeheartedly by Billy Napier and that staff. You never know, man. You never know. Uh, nobody thought Doug Flutie was going to get to the NFL and be a starter for all those years. Nobody thought that a lot of these guys would pan out. Uh, so you never know. Let him let him get in a, a training program that is 100% football, 100% of the time. Uh, he's, he did a great job at the Hula Bowl, kind of showcasing his talents and, and really helping us from a brand standpoint. Always good to have you guys succeed at the next level. So I certainly hope Levi finds a way onto a roster and, and turns some head. Some, some heads that would be great for everybody involved yeah no doubt about it from Levi let's go to Eli now of course we're talking about Elijah Mitchell the dude is special I mean we we knew that when he was here and I, I even knew that when he was at Erath but God watching him and, and it's not even if you look at his stats it's not even like gaudy numbers but he just gets it done. Yeah, right now he leads all running backs in the playoffs with uh, 149 rushing yards. It, it's unreal, so, man. It's what I love unreal. is that I love the way Shanahan trusts him. I mean, he's hand, he's turned around and handing the ball off to him, you know, hey, 14, 17 talk times about, a game. Talk about making the most of your opportunity. Absolutely. He, he, he Absolutely. ended up being the starter because of injuries, and now I think he's going to be the permanent starter. Sure. I mean, he's, he's your perfect Shanahan type running back. He's patient. He knows when to accelerate. He knows when to, to kick it outside. He yep. has vision. He, he, look, this guy, sky's the limit for Eli and he's in a great offense. He, he and Raheem so, Mostert together are going to be, they might end up being one of the best backfields in the league. And you gotta, you gotta keep Debo in, in mind. Debo Samuel. Yep. Uh, that guy can run he's, the ball just like a, a running back. I mean, yeah, they've got, they got a hell of an offense over there. It's fun to watch. And I'm not a damn 49ers fan, of course. I'm no. a Saints fan. But this is specifically well, just, you know, I'm a, I'm, I'm a 49ers fan this year because of uh, Eli. I'm an Eli Mitchell fan, yeah. But, yeah, I, I, I won't lie. I, I ordered a 49ers Elijah Mitchell jersey. So, cool. you know, it, it is what it is. Uh, one last tidbit from the football program. Braylon Traha has announced that he will return for his super senior season with the Cajuns, um, definitely some some needed news from a, from an off season that has been rocky to say the least. Um, yeah, yeah. You wanna you wanna have experience on the back end of that defense. That's gonna give everybody up front a little bit more confidence in what they're doing. And you know Zion Hill's coming back. We've got plenty coming back. I know everybody's kind of freaking out and panicking, but don't. We've got a lot of talent on this roster. I've got plenty of confidence in Lamar Morgan and, and Mike, and we're going to be fine. But I'm very happy that Traha is a, is a Kadiana wrecking Ram. He's a, a raging Cajun. He's from the area. You know, it's good to have one of those stick around. Yeah, no, no doubt about it. Uh, one last thing. Uh, I came across this article from 24-7 Sports. It is grading every new coaching staff in college football. 
So just for, for shits and giggles, there are 29 new coaching staffs in college football this season. Uh, the Cajuns come in at number 18 out of out of the 29 uh, with a grade of C. Uh, LSU comes in at number four with a grade of A. Uh, this doesn't really affect UL at all, but I thought it would be nice to mention Oregon, number three. Uh, Matt Powledge is their co-DC. So uh, former former Cajuns coach doing some big yep. things for yeah yeah Cajun. Uh, I, 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 w- I would love to know who wrote that because, you know, you hire a guy like Brian Kelly and then you lose the best defensive back coach. A guy the by the country. name of Brandon Marcello. Okay, good, good. Yeah, I'm going to go check that out. Uh, to get a grade of A is, that's interesting. Um, uh, a, grade, a grade of C for the Cajuns, I, I just, look. You keep a lot of guys intact that were around the program. Yes, you lost some, sure. Uh, but George Munoz, I mean, Lamar Morgan was at Vanderbilt. I mean, like, what? I don't know. Georgia Southern. It doesn't, it doesn't really matter. Georgia Southern coming in at number six hmm. with a grade of A minus. Because they hired a guy that people know his name. They also hired some good assistants Ryan Applin, um, Brian Morris. So I mean they've got they've got good assistance. But here's the thing that's really going to burst your bubble. Did I tell you who was number 1? The Florida backstabbing Gators? Yeah. Yeah. With a grade oh. of A+. Plus. They can all eat shit. So so apparently we had an A+ plus coaching staff before apparently it's it's the raging Cajuns in the SEC over there. I mean we didn't have Corey Raymond or Kerry Colbert. But, I mean, we basically had everybody else. So, And they also have 50 freaking coaches. Right. So, yeah, Florida, number one, A+. Plus. Um, LSU, number four. Georgia Southern, number six, kind of interesting. And then, like I said, the Cajuns coming in at number 18 out of 29. But that's going to do it for this episode of Rage Interview. Uh, once again, we really appreciate Kendall taking the time. Go read his fall report on the Cajuns. Uh, we'll go ahead and pin it to our, our Twitter page um, and, and sign up for their subscription. I mean, their annual subscription is phenomenal. Um, I've, I've been a subscriber for a couple of years now. Uh, 20% off right now with, uh, I don't remember exactly what the code was. Kendall mentioned it in the interview. Um, yeah, they're, doing a, yeah, they're doing a promotion right now, 20, 20% off the annual subscription. And if you're a D1 baseball fan, or uh, yeah. I'm sorry, a baseball fan in general for for collegiate sports you got to have it they've also kicked off d1 softball which we know we have a lot of softball fans in this area you got to go check it out really good content also last thing i'll say the round rock classic 60 dollars for the entire booklet of all games for the entire weekend go buy that go to austin have a great time spend some time in this city it's not an expensive trip and you're going to be treated to some top five baseball for an entire weekend uh I, we'll be there, and uh, Raging Review will certainly be there and covering it a little bit. But take, and go, take the kids out. It's a great park also. You guys know the drill. Follow us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Uh, next week, we will be coming at you with a softball preview for the 2022 season, Glasgow and his staff. So stay tuned for that. You know the drill, and as always, 